So we want to welcome everyone to the first episode of Lessons for Tomorrow, a conversation between industry experts providing insights from the past to apply in the present to achieve success in the future. My name is Tim Alanius. I'm the VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com, full service digital agency. Uh, I'm here today with Al Keck from Infinity Nation. And Al, you want to give a brief introduction to everyone? Sure, yeah. Al Keck, uh, founder and CEO of infinitynation.com. Uh, we are a growth partner working with e-commerce businesses to help them achieve their growth aspirations across the variety of digital marketing channels. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm pleased to have you today, Al, and just having this conversation about just some different uh, learnings from both 2020 and just a little bit more about what to expect in 2021 with especially e-commerce, customer retention and loyalty, and just kind of different ideas to diversify marketing tactics. So we'll kind of talk through all three of those today, uh, but kind of get us kicked off here, um, just starting with three ways to stay true to your brand and the ever-changing e-commerce marketplace. If anything, with 2020, um, with the uh, impact of COVID-19 on retailers, with a lot of shutdowns around the world, especially, what are some ways that you have seen just e-commerce brands uh, need to adapt with the very fast changing marketplace that happened last year and, and what is to come here in 2021? Yeah, I think well, on this side of the pond, everyone is, has excelled in e-commerce. You know, we're seeing five, six, seven time folds improvement in, in revenue. Uh, I think the challenge has been where these brands, if they are multi-channel, omni-channel, that has provided more of more of a challenge with stores being closed and uh, how do they how do they manage that? I think we saw brands work really well to sort of really get under the skin of their customers and how how they can support those customers. So, for example, we work with a cookware business that does knives, pots and pans, etc. They started sending out weekly recipes for people to go and cook and use their product. So, not only was it selling, but it was just trying to embrace you know we're all locked down here's some great things to try and beat the monotony you know, likewise a paddleboard a standard paddleboard business sort of giving out exercise routines of how you could use your paddleboard in the garden uh, to do yoga on etc so it i think it 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 was a unique environment and a unique time but it those that sort of thought smartly around it and really reflected on who their great customers were it you know it enabled and empowered them to build on that great relationship that they already had. Great, yeah, I know, absolutely. And just the different ways that organizations had to come up with new content and ways to attract people in, I think is great. The example, the, the yoga on a paddleboard or how to do it in your garden. Uh, there's just so many different ways that people, when they couldn't go out and do anything, had to adapt. And the, the brands that really did make a difference or really kind of had that hit the accelerate button on digital transformation in terms of even just their content marketing strategy was critical last year because they had to reach people. And with supply chains also being impacted with uh, the lack of orders in certain industries and everything else, I feel that there was also a bit of a shift of loyalty, right? And this will you know, kind of lead us into a few other areas that we'll talk about later, but the shift in loyalty being that if you didn't have it for me, I was more willing at least what I was seeing with customers is that people were more willing to look at wherever they could find it in inventory versus staying true and loyal to a brand itself. 
But then there was also kind of the polar opposite where people suddenly started supporting local small businesses a lot more than worrying about the big box and everything else to support each other as a community uh, during these times. I think the shopping local, absolutely. We saw it with butchers, et cetera, in, in, in the UK where they would suddenly say, well, no one's coming to our stores anymore. We can't go and supply our restaurants and our, and our wholesale customers. How do we pivot in this scenario? And so people had to become innovative, react quickly. Uh, I think it was a great use of social media channels to get their message out to suddenly say, well, look, you can't get to the supermarket or, you know, again, in the UK, supermarket online shopping slots just got absolutely swamped. You, know, you might be like two weeks out. So it just enabled these great providers of local produce to, to you know, to pivot their business and suddenly open up, uh, you know, an, an online channel. We saw it also with microbreweries where this, you know, they were historically were used to selling wholesale and to the pubs, etc. Well, those were all shut. So suddenly they had to switch from filling barrels to filling cans um, and, and building a subscription model. And so we've helped a couple of those businesses pivot to building a subscription model where you get your craft beer once a month now on subscription. Yeah, but you know, this time last year, that wasn't a business channel for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up subscriptions. I think that's an area that we already saw a lot of the software companies going to and online streaming services. But now I'm starting to see, and, and, and retail has dabbled in the subscription business with different types of, uh, you know, box of the month clubs, all those different things. And that's kind of been met with some aspect of just, you know, not as much enthusiasm by consumers. Um, I would say, right, many believe that they're either overpriced or they don't receive the items that they really wanted or aren't likely to use. So even though they're kind of expressing that about subscription services, there's still a fun aspect to it. I think there's still a, an opportunity with the right audience of where subscription comes into play. And I think that as a lot of business moves that way, retail will as well. I know um, Walmart just released their Walmart Plus, kind of like the Amazon Prime uh, competitor. And other organizations have done a little bit more VIP type of things. I think that we'll continue seeing that throughout the years as they look to find the new model of how people are either looking to purchase or looking to have purchases automatically come to them. I think what people realized is it's a reliable revenue stream. It's, it's good profitability for them. You know, the margin on it is really strong um, you know, versus selling wholesale, for example. So if you're selling beer direct to consumer, you're, you know, the margin is stronger. Um, and yeah, I think people also, you know, we've done it with a couple of coffee businesses. If you get the coffee that you like, it's your treat of a weekend, just to know that's coming once a month, I think is a is a real pleaser. I, I think yeah, so it, I think I don't think it'll be for every business, but I think on some key businesses it'll be really good. So uh I wanna just kind of go into talking a little bit about just the the value propositions that an organization can make, but even more importantly, from research that I have been reading lately and, and throughout last year about the younger generations, right? The millennials, the Gen Z, and just the upcoming audiences for who these retailers will also have to be targeting. And the way that they look at just corporate responsibility out of organizations. And I know uh, one that I've talked about a lot in the past is just the, the Patagonia example, a very large retailer who made a significant shift in their marketing efforts 
and in their corporate responsibility statements and, and held true to them. Um, so kind of interested to see your thoughts on where the corporate responsibility falls into play with how the message is being put out there and also how you market for still selling. I think it's a really interesting one because I think, as you said there, different generations have different aspirations and so you almost need to look at who you're targeting with what message and what will resonate with people. So depending on you, if, you, if you're, re, you know, you're marketing to a 70-year-old plus via Patagonia, is that as important to them as, as you say, as a, as a Gen Z? It, it's all about, it's going to be about a test, measure and evolve. I think people are becoming more aware of the planet and, and supporting the planet and looking after the planet. So I think you know, that will become more and more important. But likewise, there'll be customers that it doesn't really bother them. And I think as a business, you have to stay true to yourself and your values. And that will enable you to, um, yeah, that will, will build you the loyalty. Now, if you stay true to who you are, your the values of your products, what they stand for, what you stand for, you will attract the audience of customers that you want to work with. Um, you know, I suppose it's it's either that or you're a drack of all trades, and you know, and then does that build you the loyalty? So, I think you you have to put your stake in the ground and say this is who we are. If you want to work with us or you want to buy our products, this is what we stand for. This is why we, we're here. This is why we exist. This is what, yeah, that's this is what makes us tick. And people either buy into that or not. You know, there's it's not as if, you know, there isn't a lot of competition to buy similar products to Patagonia. So mm -hmm. what makes them different is their stance on the world, their stance on their products, their, you know, their beliefs. I think that's ultimately what people are buying into, isn't it? More, yeah. more over it, just the product. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're buying into the beliefs that are stated by that company. And I, I think the one thing that I really liked what Patagonia has done is they have really come out and put some different spins on the market, right? They started with a little bit more about that corporate responsibility, how much it actually took in resources to create just their product, right? They did that a few years ago with some of their marketing ads um, with the don't buy this jacket. I think, though, the new one that I think is really interesting, and I've seen several U.S. organizations start this trend, and especially in the outdoor retail, kind of following a little bit of Patagonia, or they had it before, but it wasn't as well known, like with the REI co-op uh, for recreational outdoor. Uh, just It's an area of where previously worn gear, the used, used apparel market, I feel, at least from what I'm seeing here in the U.S., is for some industries of retail coming to play more so because people, especially last year, were not going out and spending as much. They were willing to just kind of, you know, replace, not replace something immediately, but maybe repair it. And Patagonia kind of did that with their re-commerce evolution for worn wear. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on, on your side of the pond, what you're seeing of any of that type of effort by e-commerce retailers. I haven't seen it to that degree yet. I mean, I've seen people, uh, we've done some work with a brand called Finisterre, is sort of a, a cold water surfing brand and outdoor brand you know they've gone to the point of really focusing on how uh because they're all about the ocean how their packaging won't foul the ocean you know we're all aware acutely aware of all the plastic in the ocean right now so they've 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 gone to great lengths to make sure that their uh, packaging won't impact the ocean won't be there won't be additional plastic into the ocean um 
the recycling and reuse piece, I haven't seen massive amounts. I mean, I think there's people like Rafa who, who, who've been a client of ours in the past and they do a great repair service. So, you know, rather than, you know, as you say, sort of the fast fashion, let's just throw it away. Mm -hmm. Let's say, well, actually, okay, I, I fell off my bike, got a bit of road rash on it, but can it be repaired rather than it just need to be fully replaced? Um, yeah. But I think this comes back to sustainability at some point, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, it's great quality product. Do I need to just replace it? Yeah. And I think it's interesting to see how others follow suit. You know, do does someone like Apple follow suit? You know, often the phone, there's nothing wrong with the phone. It's just the battery that dies after a while. And is there a way that they can start coming into that same same mindset? Yeah. No, absolutely. And and it seems like a lot of the the large corporations are having an aspect of that. But to the actual replacement of worn wear, right? Apple does have some um, refurbished marketplace and everything like that. Um, but to, to do it to your own equipment versus just the recycle program they have overall after you get a new device would be interesting yeah. to see if they ever pursue that. Um, yeah. A lot of that does kind of move us into this next category of customer retention and, and, and loyalty, right? As people associate to the values and beliefs of the, the organization that they buy from, uh, that does build loyalty up with them. Um, but there's a, a cost to customer acquisition. There's uh, customer retention I felt was ever more important this past year than before because so many more new e-commerce sites popped up because of a lot of smaller local shops who, because they couldn't open, had to do something to try and survive. And so they put up e-commerce sites and there's a, a basically flooded the market with new opportunities for where you could choose to buy from. How do you handle that loyalty and retention planning and working with your uh, clients to build out ways to make sure that that is a, a, a front focus of their efforts? I think it's a really good question and, and I'm possibly a little bit outspoken on it because I think a lot of businesses will focus on just acquisition. So they're targeted with growth, they're targeted with driving revenue and the easiest way of doing that is just throw some more money at Facebook, Instagram, Google, drive more traffic, it converts at this rate, it converts at this average order value, I'll hit what target I'm given and I'll get my bonus, I'll, you know, I've done my job. Actually, think we need to, as, a, as an industry, think about how we can, we can also drive profitable growth. And I think, you know, the adage isn't it, you know, it's 10 times more expensive to get a new customer over a repeat purchase of an existing customer. Um, and I know, Tim, we've had discussions on it before, but I think it's, that really comes down to mining the, you, you, the data. Who are your good customers? Understanding what we'd call that ladder of loyalty. Who are your VIPs? What do they buy? How often do they buy them? And how do you, can you take current customers up that ladder? So we say, well, you know, customers like you bought, also bought this and, and, and build, build that into, um, you know, into a great customer base. You, it's, a, it's a really important asset for an e-commerce business but often one we don't see that people spend overtly huge amounts of time sort of understanding assessing um, and then utilizing that intelligence to a help them in smarter acquisition you know so finding customers that are, have a higher propensity to be loyal and convert rather than just sort of what we see is quite often is businesses are at sort of 70 75 percent one-time buy so only 25% repeat. Well, you know, there's huge benefits if you can get that. And we looked at one business last year 
And if we could get them from 80% one time buy to 70%, it was worth 1.5 million. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's so true that that one time buyer is the case for a lot of organizations that I work with as well. And uh, the, the, the focus on net new acquisition is, is always seems to be the prior, you know, a, a goal that everyone's marching towards. Did we increase net new? Did we increase net new? Well, at the same time, I always look, love to challenge on from your existing customer base, if you know them, if you know what they've bought from you in the past, if you know any additional information about them, how can you market to them to increase another sale and build that loyalty up with them and retain them over time? And you know, this comes into multiple different marketing tactics. And I think that uh, one way that you explained it before, and I, I really like the phrase, I have always used a different phrase, you called it the gold mine of data. I usually refer to it as the dark data in the closet that you've been collecting, but you've done nothing with, and it just sits there in that closet. So let's open that door. But when you talked about yours, I really liked kind of the way that you envisioned it with the gold mine of, we need to excavate the gold out of it. And you put all the rest of it aside because you find that important information in your data to make those decisions from. And that will help guide you towards your future efforts, but also let you understand your customers that much more in order to really build new campaigns and new initiatives that will attract them back and retain them. I, I think it's vital. I think otherwise we are all just burning money on acquisition and you know, to make our entities worth more, make our, you know, our clients more valuable um, as an entity, we need to show repeat purchase and lifetime value. That to me is missing often at the top table as a as a as a KPI that we should be we should be using it. What's profitable cost per acquisition? What's our lifetime value? And how are we looking to drive lifetime value from the customer base? There has to be more of a goal to make our businesses more profitable moving forward. I also think by mining the data, as you say, you know, being really clear on who are the great customers, what products do they buy, it makes us smarter in our acquisition. You know, and more confident that we're going to go and acquire a customer that has a high propensity to repeat purchase and be more valuable to us. I mean, we we did it on a on a uh, an elderly uh, food service where people have meals delivered, and we know that if they get to the sixth order, so their sixth week of orders, that's it. They're booked in for life for most of them. They like the service, they like the food, it works for them, and they just repeat purchase. And that's yeah, that's you know, you can you understanding that revenue stream at that point is so important that now the business is prepared prepared to almost break even on first the first six orders or even potentially lose money but knowing that if we get to that sixth order milestone that's it that's a profitable customer for for years to come no absolutely uh kind of shifting a little bit we take all that data we've we, we've talked about customer retention and loyalty some different things about corporate responsibility and aligning the target audience that you have for your organ you know retailer and how that uh mirrors to what they're looking for or, or how to address the need and and everything what are some different marketing tactics that especially over uh, the last year maybe you've seen an uptick in or more success with um and, and looking at more specifically with those tactics both also the channels but also just types of campaigns i i saw a lot of spread of different success and different types of retail industry and e-commerce industry, but 
a lot of it did stem back to the tried and true email. I saw email channel just really resonate well and a lot of tactics that were used that were, you know, kind of maybe a little bit more uh, gray hat tactics in terms of I was on lists before I knew I had some unsubscribed from them and somehow they just kind of pinged me once more yet again and it kind of drew me back into them. Um, what are some things that you saw and, you know, just talk through some different marketing tactics overall? Again, I think it comes back to understanding your audience, and I think it's really key. But like you, we saw email resonate with people. I think where people were in lockdown, they had more time. Life perhaps wasn't so chaotic, and so they had more time to absorb and take in email content than ever before. So, and I think go back to what we were talking earlier, when people are sending us recipes or ways to do yoga on our paddleboard, you know, that. You know, it wasn't all about selling, it was also about building community and, and that fun. So I think absolutely we would, I'd concur with you that email was got more traction last year than it has done in a number of years. Uh, I think we've also seen catalog and, and old style, you know, door drop mailings work for certain industries, work well, right audience, right age demographic. Suddenly that's, that's picked up. Uh, I'm not sure on, on the definitive laws in the US, but you know, in the UK there's something called uh, GDPR and legitimate interest is a gray area. So, you know, if you thought there was a legitimate interest, some people might have gone, there may have been a legitimate interest to send him a message again and, and thus that's why you receive one. It's, it's, it's a gray area. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. We saw social uh, engagement, social uh, audience building and lookalike audiences really accelerate in 2020. Um, but again, by understanding who our great customers are, we knew who, how to go after the right types of customers. Um, and, and certain industries didn't do as well with lockdown or not going out. We saw outdoor sports go through the roof in this country. So paddleboarding, water sports, cycling, you know, we just I think the biggest challenge in, in the UK right now is getting replenishment stock. You know, getting stuff out of China with them, container prices. I don't know what it's like for the US, but container prices have gone up eightfold. And and then just the raw components even being available is, is a challenge. But yeah, I think it's, it comes back to that core marketing adage of test, measure and evolve. I think you had to almost wipe the slate clean and go, well, this hasn't been as successful in the past. It was like, well, let's try it again. Let's test it. What's our benchmarks? What do we want to say is a minimum? And is it above or below that threshold? And how are we going to, where are we going to put our effort? But yeah, yeah, we saw email work well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, in here in the US too, we saw the same issue with replenishment uh, stock and just delays in shipping and everything. I think that's where some of the marketing tactics that we worked with clients on centered around even just the, the trust and transparency, being honest about shipping dates. I had a few examples where I, I had online orders in you know, the, you know, the spring, summer of last year, and it's like showing that it's gonna ship within a week or so, and then all I get is delay email, delay email, delay email. It's like that really, I lost credibility with that company at that time because they weren't transparent. Um, yeah. There's others that also adapted their marketing tactics and, and one I mentioned earlier with REI that I thought was really uh, a, a great service to their community and, and especially for customer loyalty was they put out immediately that because their stores weren't open 
And because of shipping delays and everything that if you had a purchase you needed to return, they extended that return window much larger until they could actually have their physical retail locations back available to have you stop in, drop off that return and handle it. And so I think there's just a lot of different tactics that I saw with regards to even uh, return policies, the holidays we saw it as well. Um, at least here in the US, I saw a big shift in just consumer, um, the, the consumer marketing that went out and then consumer shopping behaviors. Yes, Black Friday, Cyber Monday still had some upticks. Black Friday wasn't as much for physical, but a month before, at the beginning of November, end of October, a lot of brands were starting all their Black Friday price deals. And it really extended the shopping period and they extended return policies into January. And it was an interesting shift this year, especially for the holiday season. Um, so just really that aspect of how they diversified their entire marketing message where it used to be focused on days, they now extended over time. And I think you, you, you really hit it on the head with the comment about how people had more time for consuming email. It wasn't as chaotic. I fully agree. I think that's why email worked well. I think that's also why some of these brands took longer for their marketing campaigns in the holiday season because they knew that they had more attention. They knew that they had people looking more often and that may have increased the sales that they also typically would have seen if it was just a day or two because typically on Cyber Monday, a lot of businesses will find that their internet traffic is Amazon or other retailers as people are shopping Cyber Monday from work. Now that most people were working remotely, they can shop all day long and not feel as obligated to not be doing that type of activity. Yeah, and it was interesting. We we saw an early Black Friday season here this year as well. I don't think the day itself was, it was still big, but it, it wasn't record breaking. But I think actually the lead up to it was mm -hmm. bigger than it's ever been. And yeah. some of that was clever marketing in a way, but it was also genuine that, the stock was starting to become limited. So actually, if you wanted to give a gift for Christmas, buy it now, or you might miss out if you wait till Black Friday. So I'd say in the UK, our customer base have never made such good margin. You know, the margin that they managed to hold, they didn't need to discount. They definitely didn't discount deep. It enabled them to really um, just trade on. We do great product. We've got it in stock at the moment, but if you want it, you're going to need to buy it because we're struggling to get replenished. And you know where we had other clients where, we, you know, like you were saying, Tim, we had to be honest and say, look, we know it's on the water, we know it's coming, but it's not landed. Yeah. One was, well, let's not sell it now. And my view was, no, we need to take a pre-order because otherwise we'll miss out and they'll go and buy a, an alternative product from someone else. Yet yeah. this is a great product. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the pre-order was key. I uh, saw a lot of that as well here uh, in the U.S. So. Um, I know we're coming up kind of the end of our, our time that we wanted to take for today, but any kind of final wrap up, final thoughts that you have about just kind of how to stay ready for 2021 or any any final thoughts you wanted to share? Stay ready. I think that's a tricky one because I think we just got to be, you know, on our toes and be nimble. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just, again, it's just making sure you've got some of those core KPIs that you're really on top of. I'm still not seeing enough people being on top of or having a, pro a program of improvements for uh, conversion rate, especially conversion rate by device. I still don't think that mobile is getting enough love. Uh, understanding that lifetime value and understanding profitable cost per acquisition. 
I think are key ones. If you know that, you know, we saw customers where they could see in early lockdown in the UK, people just fell off. They just turned their marketing campaigns off. Those that were on their numbers went, wow, suddenly our cost per acquisitions halved. Mm -hmm. We're going all in. They just turned up the wick massively and you grew fantastically and have acquired great customers. There was nervousness that the COVID cohort might not behave like other cohorts, but in the early analysis and testing we've done, you know, they look like good customers and, and you know, we've, you know, those, those that were on their numbers really grew and grew in safe in the knowledge that they were doing it profitably. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, yeah, I completely cards. agree. No, no, it's good. It's good. Hey, Al, thank you so much. Um, for today and the conversation that we had, I you know thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope everyone tuning in also did. Uh, again, thanks for everyone tuning in to the first episode of Lessons for Tomorrow, a conversation between industry experts providing insights from the past to apply in the present to achieve success in the future. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Tim.